0: I don't know if you uh, are familiar with this or know of this, but the concept of Deeper Still came out of a conversation that was had between myself and another person in the fellowship. Uh, Many churches have kind of a little saying, a phrase that goes along with their church name. Here's our church name, and, and here's the kind of church we are. We're a church that does this, or we're a church that's about going, giving, and serving, or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about, right? And we've always avoided that. We've never had really a tagline on our church name, we're just Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. Because I never wanted to make a statement to claim we we're something, and then someone comes and finds out that that wasn't their experience here. So I'm very sensitive to that. I don't wanna misrepresent us. So having a conversation with someone in the church, uh, they had talked to someone about having started coming here to church some time ago. And at that time, they were fairly new to Calvary Chapel. And the person asked, what is it that you like about your church? And she said the only two words she could come up with were deeper still that no matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you feel like you've been with God, that there's still more there, deeper still. And I thought we could use that, like that would work because it doesn't make a claim that we're anything. It really makes a claim that God is something and that we're all here searching to go with him deeper still. And even as we have that conversation about what it even means to go deeper, some might immediately jump to the idea of, well, especially in our day and age of feelings-based worship, that be deeper still means I come to church and I have lights and there's an experience that feels emotional and therefore I feel like maybe I've been deeper with God because it's based on emotions. Now, I'll say that emotions are part of God. God is not an emotionless God. So there should be emotions that accompany our worship. There's very appropriate as you come to the table, you may cry by being overwhelmed at God's love for you or with joy because of what he's done for you in your life. But while emotions are an appropriate part of worship, they don't necessarily indicate worship in and of themselves. Just because someone has an emotional feeling doesn't mean that they've worshipped. Matter of fact, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So when we talk about going deeper, I don't want to make it seem like or confuse you into thinking that, Well, it's an emotional feeling of depth that actually means I've been deeper with God. So then what is it? Well, the word bathos, which is the New Testament Greek word for depth, it literally means depth or deep water or fullness or immensity or an extreme degree or mysterious or profound. And I think we can relate that to our own desires for and experiences with, let's say, deep space. We understand deep space is sort of mysterious. As a matter of fact, the research I did shows that uh, all the stars, planets, and galaxies that can be seen today make up just four percent of the universe. The other 96 percent is made of stuff astronomers can't see, detect, or even comprehend. These mysterious substances are called dark energy and dark matter. There's a whole big universe out there, and we know it but all that we can have relationship with, all that we have kind of interacted with is 4%, 96% of what's out there in the universe, unknown to us and incomprehensible in a way to us. So we explore, we have this draw, right? To go deeper. We want to know what's there. Do you ever wonder why? Like, why do we care what's out there? But we do. And how about deep oceans? There's a fascination with the ocean depths. There's some freaky looking creatures down there. 70% of our planet is made up of oceans. And to date, we have explored less than 5% of the oceans. Much remains to be learned by exploring and from exploring the mysteries of the deep. The ocean is the lifeblood of the earth. It drives weather, it regulates temperature, and ultimately supports all living organisms. And yet, we've plumbed 5% of that 95% is still a mystery. And yet there's a drive, a draw to go deeper. What's down there? What will we find? What do we discover? And then even let's bring it home, whether it's out in space or down in the depths of the sea. What about our own minds? Scientists struggle and wrestle to comprehend the four pound supercomputer that lives between your ears. It is the most powerful computer known to mankind. This one article said that fantastically complex organ is the main focus of several massive scientific research projects right now, including the more than $3 million brain initiative and the EU's human brain project. What most people may not realize is how much this research is truly delving into the unknown. As central as the brain is to our existence, we understand very little about how it actually works, according to Thomas Insel, director of the National Institutes of Mental Health. Outer space, we just don't know what's out there, but we're hungry to find out. Depths of the sea, we just don't know what's down there, but we're hungry to find out. Even in our own minds, what's in there? Sometimes we wonder, right? Where did that come from? What makes you tick? What makes me tick? Where does consciousness reside? These are questions that scientists are asking themselves with a hunger and a desire to search and go deeper. Now, think about the God that made all of that. If we can't even search these little areas, think about the unsearchable riches of the God who created that brain, who created that universe, who hung the stars, who hangs the planets on nothing. Think about the God that created those oceans and those freaky looking creatures with little you know, lights that hang out in front of their faces so they can fish for prey. I mean, wild stuff. And this is God. And so the challenge is, is we live in a culture that encourages shallowness and just quick interactions. And so you have to choose when we come to God, am I gonna have that hunger to go deeper? As the Bible says, Psalm 42, the psalmist said, deep cries out unto deep at the sound of your waterfalls. It's like the psalmist heard the waterfall. You ever been near a waterfall? In Niagara Falls, or even a lesser waterfall, you feel the power and the surging presence of that waterfall. There's something in you that goes, Whoa. And that's God crying out to you from the heavens and the universe, crying out to you from the depths of the sea, crying out to you from inside your own mind, saying, Hey, don't be satisfied with shallow. I want to know you more intimately. I want you to go deeper because. He's drawing you there because that's where you're meant to be. God, in the beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. They had full intimacy with God. You want to talk about intimacy with God? It's not an emotional feeling. It's an openness and exposure with which you can be comfortable because you know the love of the one that you're exposed to. And that's intimacy with God. That's a deeper relationship where all of the things that we hide behind are gone. Ezekiel chapter 47 is a passage of many passages that would do well to talk to us about maybe what this deeper relationship with God would look like. Now, recognize in the New Testament, we could talk about Luke 5, where Jesus tells his disciples, launch out into the deep for a catch of fish. I like that. I think Jesus is maybe saying that to us today. Hey, he's telling the church, hey, let's launch out into the deep. That's where you're gonna find stuff. That's where the catch is. So we can talk about Luke 5. We could talk about uh, the parable of the four soils. The second soil, if you remember that, it's that soil that is shallow and the roots are very shallow. And when the sun comes out, it bakes that little grass and it dies. And it's related to people that have a shallowness about their walk. And when trials come, they dry up and they fall away. They can't handle persecution. They can't handle trials. They can't go through those things. Why? Because they're shallow. They're only here for encouraging messages. They're only here for the food. Or we could talk about the two builders, the one that was a wise builder, the one that was a foolish builder. Remember the difference between them? The foolish builder built on the sand. What did the wise builder do? He dug deep. He dug deep and he laid a foundation on something that was immovable on the bedrock. So you've got to dig deep. So we can talk about depth from those things, but I like Ezekiel. I like the picture because I'm a lousy swimmer and you'll see why that makes sense When we get into Ezekiel chapter 47, let's read a little bit. I'll give you some background and we'll move quickly through this. Ezekiel 47.1 says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. This is Ezekiel speaking. He's being led around by this person in his vision. He brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from underneath the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faces east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running outside on the right side. What's going on here? A little bit of background. Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet. He's speaking during the time when the Israelites had been carried away captive to Babylon. The Babylonians had sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and the people had lost their national identity. They'd been carried away into captivity. And much of the book of Ezekiel speaks of those things, the uh, disobedience, the rebellion of Israel. But then there's a switch. Chapters 40 through 48 really describe to Ezekiel a future time of worship. So Ezekiel is not having this vision in Jerusalem. He's speaking of Jerusalem, but remember, it's a vision. He's somewhere else when he's seeing this, but God is using this vision to give him some encouragement about his people that are right now in captivity, but hey, Ezekiel, there's gonna be a new temple. And some would say this is a literal temple that's spoken of here all through these chapters. Everything's getting measured and laid out very specific, but there will be a literal temple that will be built sometime in the future. It wasn't fulfilled when uh, Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple because there was no water coming out from underneath the threshold of the temple. So this is something else future. But there's some good advice and good interesting insights into this. Notice that uh, here's this vision of the temple and there's water flowing. Where does it start? It starts in the sanctuary. It starts at the temple. That's where life begins. This river, just so you know, jump down with me to verse eight. We'll just jump down. We'll get a little preview and then we'll go back up. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, it enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, that's speaking of the Dead Sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. This is a very special kind of river, isn't it? It brings life wherever it goes. Many would say this river is a type of Christ, which we could certainly imagine. I believe it's a future literal river, but that it also typifies and speaks of Christ, who is the living water. He talks to the woman at the well about living water. In John chapter seven, Jesus talks about, come to me, all you who thirst. And he talks about water. And for those that believe that out of your belly will flow rivers of what kind of water? Living water. So many say that, that Jesus is referring back to possibly Ezekiel 47 in that. But nonetheless, we see that this river that comes from God, that's where all life comes from. Can we agree on that, church? That's where all life comes from, comes from God. Comes from the temple, the presence of God. And Ezekiel's being led around. Say, okay, Ezekiel, come out here and I want you to see it over here. He brought me out, verse two says, by the way of the north gate, they come around to the east gate, which faces the Mount of Olives. The Brook Kidron is right there, the Kidron Valley. And he sees it and there's water running out on the right side. Now, if you live in the Middle East, or you live in Africa during the arid season, the dry season, Water is really important for life, isn't it? I mean, maybe you've seen the documentaries where like this region goes through this whole drought for months and months and months, and then the spring rains come and it just brings life. It restores life back because the ponds and the puddles have gotten so small and all the animals are fighting and trying to drink that little last bit of water and everything's dead, but then it rains and all life returns. And that's the picture that is seen last night went to turn on the faucet and it was just a trickle. No water because we'd left the horse hose on filling the water trough. And boy, you want to talk about unsettling when you turn that water faucet on and nothing comes out. Like if you live on a well, like we do, it's like, whoa, oh, something's wrong. And you little bit of panic inside. So Ezekiel sees the water running out. It's trickling out. Look at verse three. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, what line? It's a measuring line. He's measuring. He's got a tape measure. And he goes out to the east with his line in his hand. He measured 1,000 cubits. Aren't all your tape measures in cubits? About a third of a mile. And he brought me through the waters and the water came up to my ankle. So Ezekiel, what we're gonna measure out from the temple from where this trickle starts out and we're gonna go a third of a mile down and it's about just, it's very shallow. And he doesn't tell Ezekiel, now let's measure it again. He's measuring the length, getting into a certain spot but then instead of measuring the depth, what's he tell Ezekiel to do? He tells Ezekiel, I want you to stand it. You're the measuring rod. You stand in it. You walk through it. You see how deep it is. And Ezekiel kind of walks through it. You know, maybe takes his shoes off or his sandals off or whatever. He walks through it and he goes, I'm guessing four inches. It's just up to my ankles. It's not real deep. I feel it moving. You know, I'm wet, but it doesn't really affect me. That's about how deep it is. Okay, so no commentary. Verse four, they continue on. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. And the water came up to my knees. Another third of a mile, Ezekiel, go and walk through again. And Ezekiel now walks in. He's like, wait a second, now it's up to my knees. Now there's no tributary rivers or streams flowing into this to make it gain momentum. It's just gaining momentum all by itself. It's a miraculous flow, a miraculous river. Are you seeing that? Rivers don't do that. Usually they trickle out if there's nothing contributing in. They start with a spring, it runs down, it absorbs into the water, and eventually it dries up. But this is a river that gets stronger as it goes from glory to greater glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3 says. All right, so now he's up to his knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through and the water came up to my waist. And Ezekiel's going, okay, maybe is he getting the picture yet. Is he? What is God trying to show him? Verse five, again, he measured 1,000. And it was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. Interesting, especially for the non-swimmers in here. I like it at the kiddie pool. I don't know about you, but I like the kiddie pool. I'm safe at the kiddie pool. Um, there's no stress there, no tension. Because if I'm in a river that's over my head, and it's flowing, now notice it's flowing to the Dead Sea, right? And the Dead Sea right now is dead and evaporating at an alarming rate because the mineral content, the salt content is so high, nothing can live in it. There's no algae, there's no fish, I had no idea what to expect first time going to the Dead Sea. I was so excited. I thought it was going to feel like Jell-O or something. like Because you can float in it like I'm a sinker. Any other sinkers in here? I am such a sinker that uh, I don't have to try. I just right to the bottom. So I was excited for the Dead Sea. So we hopped in there and it's like you just kind of lean back and you float. And it's wild. Doesn't feel like jello. disappointingly. It wasn't jello. It was... It just, it does feel thick, but it's odd. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the Sea of Galilee, the the Jordan River feeds the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee and continues on down through the Jordan River Valley. Then it flows into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea kills it. Once it hits the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea's content, mineral content is so high, it kills the life of the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee has tons of fish. 13 some different varieties of fish live in the uh, Sea of Galilee. And it's got life, but then it gets to the Dead Sea, no life. This river that starts from the temple and flows to the Dead Sea will not be killed by the deadness of the Dead Sea. What's it gonna do? It's gonna bring that which was dead to life. That's awesome. And there's gonna be fish and I would love to see it. The Dead Sea needs it. But I'm content in the kiddie pool. I'm content with the ankle. I'm safe there. But as you go deeper... As Ezekiel moves farther out, he recognizes this man is asking him, Ezekiel, have you seen this? I mean, Ezekiel's pants are all wet now. He's he's all wet because he's now been swimming in this. And what kind of question is it, Ezekiel, have you seen this? There must be something else there, right? You think maybe he's saying, Ezekiel, no, 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 Ezekiel, have you seen this? And Ezekiel was told by God that there would be a time when God would pour out his spirit on that nation that there would be a restoration, that he would take out their stony heart, give them a heart of flesh, he would pour out his spirit on them. And I think, my opinion, this river, this river, the spirit of God. And anytime we talk about the spirit of God, we talk about the word of God, those two things go hand in hand. Doesn't the word of God bring life? Doesn't the spirit of God bring life? Doesn't the son of God bring life? I mean, we talk about these things in the Bible. So here's the challenge, First Corinthians 2 and 3, Real quickly refer back there. I don't know how pastors preach in 10 minutes. You say they're choosy with their words, pastor, unlike you. Okay, (laughs) First Corinthians 2. You've read this verse before, you know it. Verse nine says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. There's these things God has prepared for the people that love him. The people that don't love God, that don't know God, never experience them. And we say, well, see, we don't know what they are. What what are these things? And we quote that as if we don't know what he's talking about. Look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God reveals them to us. How? Through his spirit. Through the spirit of God dwelling in you. Now watch what happens. For the spirit searches Not the universe out there, not the deep down there, not the mind that's in here, although that's true. But what Paul says is the spirit searches all things. Yes, look, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So what Paul has just said is that there's no way to go deeper with God unless you're saved. He clarifies that. Let's go down just a little bit more. Look at verse 14. He says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can sit in church, you can read your Bible, and you can go, I don't get it. If you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, then you don't have the capacity to understand the deep things of God. First, a man must be saved. I've talked to more people. I read that book. I've read that book, but I don't, I don't get it. There's all kinds of contradictions. First thing, I had, are you saved? Are you saved? When you get saved, this book becomes alive to you because you have a personal relationship with the living God of whom this book discusses. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. So the first thing you have to do is be saved. Then you can understand these mysteries, these things of God, these riches, these depths. But not just by memorizing them. Look down at chapter 3. Paul has just laid out to them about, you know, you can't understand spiritual things unless you have the Spirit of God in you. And then verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, meaning fleshy, as to babes in Christ. I couldn't talk to you guys like spiritual people. I had to talk to you like baby. Why? Verse two, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until you were not able to receive it, even now you are still not able for you are still carnal. He says, look, church, and look, church in Fluvana, Paul said, I would love to take you deeper with God. I would love to grow you into maturity with God. But there's a problem. Just like a baby has to have like, Milk and little Cheerios. I love the Cheerio days. They were all over our car, everywhere. Every nook and cranny, the Cheerios. And then you go on from there to more solid food, right? You progress. If you understand mathematics, you know there's a progression. You start with addition and subtraction. You start with number recognition and then you go to addition and subtraction and then you move on until you reach calculus. You don't start out with calculus, right? In your spiritual life, Paul says there's a progression. And it's not just a progression of knowledge or based on more studying. Look what he says. The progression with God is not based on, again, your biblical knowledge, but your biblical obedience. Wow. Look what he said. I wanted to give you more, but you were not able to receive it. And even now, he would say to them, you can't receive it. Why? Because you're still carnal. You're still working on addition and subtraction. You'll never get to the moon unless you pass through the atmosphere. You'll never get to that deeper place with God, assuming you want to go there, unless you first handle dealing with the simple basic things. That's what Paul said. Where there are envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? Go back with me to Ezekiel and we'll wrap this up. It's a lot easier in some ways to just stay in the shallows kick around a little bit, carry a Bible, show up for church, you know, and say, you know, that, that's enough. I don't really, you know, I just, I'm saved and that's good enough for me. Notice Ezekiel, he feels the water when it's in up to his ankles, but it doesn't really challenge him. It doesn't really move him at all. And then he gets in up to his knees. If you've walked across the river, up to your knees, if it's a fast flowing river, you feel the pressure there, right? You know, you got to resist a little bit, but it still doesn't move you. You know, you're still on, on your own solid footing, And then you get up to your waist, and now if the river, this river, as it's getting deeper, I imagine it getting stronger, and now you're up to your waist, it's harder to stand up. It's harder to resist. And then finally, as you go out farther, you're into a place where you're completely immersed. And no longer are you holding on to your own will. Now, where the current takes you, that's where you go. You are yielded and submitted to the river, right? Right? You know, Jesus didn't come to baptize you with water. He came to immerse you. That's what the word baptism means. He came to immerse you in the Holy Spirit, to baptize you so that no longer would your will be your own. Now, trust me, gang, it's scary there. There's a lot of things to keep you from submitting yourself and yielding yourself in obedience to God. And the more you try to resist that current, try to swim upstream, the harder it gets. But once you yield yourself to that stream all the fears, all the anxieties about where's it gonna take me, where am I gonna go? Hey, it takes you to life. Everything around Ezekiel is bringing forth to life. So as we talk about deeper with God, really the one thing I wanna say to you now is it's not some out there thing where I gotta have an emotional experience and all these things. Deeper with God is obeying what you know now, drawing close to him, being saved, and then beginning to apply his word your life. Let his spirit, in conjunction with his word, begin to direct and overtake the will for your life. And now you will find yourself being moved by God. Listen, a lot of people come to church and they read the Bible and they are never moved by it. They're in up to their ankles or you're up to your knees or even into your waist. You're really digging into the scriptures. The question isn't, are you digging in? The question is, are they moving you out? Are they moving you out, out into the will of God? Get rid of that envy, get rid of that strife, get rid of that selfishness and you will find yourself caught up in the will of God and in a place of depth that Ezekiel found himself. And I would say to you, church, have you seen this? Do you know this for yourself? Don't play around in the shallows. Time is short, isn't it, gang? The people in the world know the church. We're piddling around in the shallows. We're in the baby pool. And if you're in the baby pool and you watch and you see people floating around in the deep end and they're having fun out there and they're just enjoying, and you go, I want to be out there. You're jealous. Instead of justifying your place in the baby pool, get out there in the deep end. Go do what God says and watch what he'll do with the life-giving waters of the Holy Spirit when you begin to obey the simple things in your life. Amen, church? Amen.